Hi there, Supportive Business Podcasters. Matt Scanlon here. Uh, today's episode is quite a gem. Uh, it started off with me interviewing an athlete about athlete motivation going into a challenge that my gym is having at the moment. And it quickly turned into a discussion on business. So I thought that this would be a great opportunity to use this episode in the Sport of Business podcast because a lot of the lessons that our guest today talks about are things that you guys can turn around and use in your business today. Um, this is a great resource. Uh, Aaron references quite a few books that you guys can go out and get. I'll include those in the show notes. Guys, have a great week. Go out and crush it, and we'll talk to you soon. You're listening to the Sport of Business podcast powered by the 321 Go Project. We've talked with over 500 gym owners just like you, and every week we'll bring you the best of the best. We chat with industry experts as well as deliver advice that you can use today. For more, visit 321goproject.com. Three, two, Okay, welcome listeners to another podcast. Now this is, my name is Matt Scalen. I will be your host and interviewer today. Now this is a special podcast because I don't exactly know how I'm going to use this. So either welcome to the Sport of Business podcast or welcome to the Hill Radio or perhaps both we're hoping. And the reason that I say that we would potentially be using this episode uh, for one of the two podcasts that I do is that I am joined um by a member of my gym, uh, Aaron Matiak. Aaron, welcome to the show. Thank you. Or shows, I should say. And uh, to give the listeners a little bit of uh, history, uh, the reason that Aaron is on the show, Aaron is, is one of our ambassadors for the gym. And Aaron and I were talking one day after a wad of some sort. And, and I was kind of like, we were kind of commiserating about motivation. And... And I said something to the extent of, you know, which is hard, who's got a harder job to motivate? You know, I'm trying to get people to move towards a healthier lifestyle. And Erin definitely came in and one up to me and she said, try to get doctors to implement new software in their practice. And, and she definitely took the cake. So Erin uh, is a business strategist for a uh, healthcare software company. And one of the things that they do is they develop uh, digital strategies to improve healthcare outcomes. Aaron, will you unpack that for us just a little bit? Sure. Um, I think in the in the simplest form, healthcare has been something, you know, when you or I go to the doctor, typically we have to fill out a form on paper, and then that paper goes into a paper chart. And that has been the way of healthcare for years and years. Just over about the last 10 years, we've seen a digitization of healthcare. Mm -hmm. And so now when you go to a doctor's office, you may experience the same clipboard and piece of paper, or you may be handed an iPad. And we're in that transition right now, nationwide and really globally. Um, so as doctors and nurses become accustomed to that new technology, whether it's the new software program or using an iPad versus using a keyboard, um, they have definitely some struggles to overcome in terms of knowing how to use the software, but also wanting to do it. Um, it does take their attention away from patients um, to be looking at a computer screen instead of looking at a patient. And so those are the hurdles that we need to overcome in terms of motivation when we implement new software so for, um, for a, whether it's a doctor or an entire health organ healthcare organization. 
so to to stick with that just for a little bit, and maybe we can draw this line to the gym setting, is does the digitization of healthcare does that improve health outcomes for patients? I mean, is this a pretty universal idea that your practice will improve by using these digital solutions? Absolutely. The entire concept that the industry has adopted is that with more data, you can make better decisions. So if you have information about um, a childhood disease that is now, um, and you've got lab tests and information from their you know, an individual's health behaviors, like putting data in Wattify, for example, mm -hmm. and logging food on MyFitnessPal and walking with a Fitbit, all of those components of that data interacting with lab results, as well as, you know, observations and condition management that a physician might input into the system, all of that together is um, aggregated into different views so that physicians can make the best decisions. This is then compounded by all of the input of all of like patients globally, all of their data being leveraged and, you know, lots of analytics happening behind the scenes to push to doctors. It doesn't rely on if your doctor went to Harvard or if your doctor went somewhere else um, and their tower of knowledge in that particular person's head. So if we were to then make the connection to the, let's just say the CrossFit gym owner, the CrossFit sure. affiliate owner. So we know we we have enough data to know that nobody uses their global gym membership like if you have like this two year contract mm -hmm. some you know 30 40 bucks we know that oh two and a half percent of people use that three percent like we know that mm -hmm. and so here we are as the gym owners saying to the world guys listen this is the gym that people use like we know this come work out with us but right. yet there's a struggle with communicating that value mm -hmm. proposition. And I think that you probably see yourself in the same way. You're probably over here saying, hey, doctors, like this is mm -hmm. a better way to run your practice. Your patients will be healthier as a result of adopting these systems. Mm -hmm. So how do we begin to unpack the adoption of these clearly superior systems and communicate that to the people that we need to adopt these systems? Sure. I think it really comes um, down to understanding why you're successful. Sometimes businesses are successful on accident. So being intentional about um, breaking down why someone is successful versus why someone is not, um, why a particular physician might just totally uptake, you know, uh, using an electronic medical record versus another one not doing it. And what we've found in our work is that, um, both motivation and ability play a part. So you have to want to do something. So I want to eat healthy. I want to exercise, but I also have to know how. Mm -hmm. So I have to know how to do that. I need coaching and, and other things to, to help me along that path. But that really happens across three dimensions. So personal, um, personal motivation, which is what a lot of people have when they walk into a global gym um, or to any gym for that matter, walking in wanting to uh, improve their lifestyle in whatever way that might be. So personal motivation is a huge key. The second thing and the second component of personal, um, the personal dimension is personal ability. So do you know how to walk on a treadmill? Do you know how to um, show up for a, a wad? Do you know how to do those things? Do you know how to 
do a snatch or a deadlift, for example. So you have to have that personal skill. But if it stops there, it stops there, I think is the real key. Yep. And so adding the two additional layers that we've, um, we've been studying in our work, I think are the key components and really what's drawn me to CrossFit and what has kept me at CrossFit. Because I think CrossFit is doing it right. Um, but it is knowing that you're doing it right and kind of compounding on that that will make you even more successful. And, and I think I'm going to pause you right there because I think that you hit on a very key component is understanding what is keeping people there. And I and and that's where I think that most gym owners could really benefit from this conversation is, you know, a lot of times – I, I think so the the book drive you you dropped the book drive on and what's really interesting is that one of my business mentors put that on a recommended book list mm -hmm. literally 24 hours before you set that on my desk that's and fantastic. so it's very much that's a kismet as they say um, yep. but one of the very interesting things about that book is that it identifies these personal motivators and there's a very clear expiration date to those things. And I mm -hmm. think a lot of gym owners not understanding the things that keep people there. One of the things in the industry that is very controversial is this idea of discounts. And that's one thing that Pink clearly identifies is that financial personal motivators has a very short expiration date. So people will not, so your customers will not value discounts long-term. That may get them in the door and may keep them there for six weeks. But Absolutely. as the gym under the gym owner needs to understand what's going to keep that person there for 10 years. Mm -hmm. So Aaron, what is going to keep people there? For <laughs> well, I think, um, absolutely. There's a lot of things that are keep people there for 10 years. And I think the important thing to understand is it's all of those things in combination that's going to keep people there for 10 mm -hmm. years. So you've got your personal dimension of really wanting to do something different with your life or your lifestyle, um, whatever behavior it is that you're attempting to change. Mm -hmm. um, so that personal dimension needs to be addressed first. And that's done in each individual's heart. Yeah. Right. So that's hard work um, that gets somebody in the door. But once they're in the door, I think that a CrossFit gym or any other organization has the opportunity to capitalize really on the social aspect or the social dimension of the environment that they're providing. Um, and what I mean by that is both social motivation and social ability. So social motivation is stuff like um, coaching, role modeling, mentoring, peer interactions. So those things all manifest in the way of, you know, a typical class um, in a CrossFit gym, um, cheering during a WOD, doing different competitions. Those are all very strong social motivators. Um, social motivation and social mo ability really kind of blur those lines a lot. And the way that I would describe that is um, motivation is more encouragement and ability is more actual help, mm -hmm. um, whether that be information or coaching or resources that you're providing answers to questions. That's the ability side of that. Um, but then moving on down from the social dimension. So you've had the personal motivation and ability to walk in the door, the social components that are keeping you engaged, like the competitions and the workouts and the cheering and the, the relationships that you've developed. But then even further to that is the the physical structure and the environment. So you talked a little bit about discounts. Um, 
the structure, which is the third dimension, um, certainly provides structural motivation and then structural ability as well. So structural motivation might be things like incentives. So do this many classes, get a discount, or um, don't mess this thing up. Get, I don't know. There's, there's positive and there's negative mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. incentives. Um, not that you would restrict privileges in the gym necessarily, <laughs> but if you were, you know, parenting a child, you might take TV time away no or something. No more back squats. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> like we could definitely use that one here, I think. Um, but incentives should be used last and in moderation. Um, and what I mean by that is if personal motivation hasn't been fully developed and social motivation hasn't been fully embraced, then no incentive will make any difference except the one-time use of that incentive. So if you pay a kid to pick up sticks, um, a dollar a stick, they'll pick up as many as they can. When you stop offering that dollar, they'll stop picking up sticks. All right. If you are a gym owner and listening to this, rewind that 30 seconds and listen to it again. These incentives are good, are effective as a one-time use only. I'll give you a little anecdotal. Uh, very early on in, in my affiliate, I made some big mistakes on what I thought motivated people to join the gym. And, um, and a lot of this were these ongoing incentives. I didn't build any social structure around my gym to encourage people to be a part of it. And I thought, well, you know, if I give Susie $1,000 worth of discounts a year, she'll thank me for it all day. She'll be the most happy. Guess what? The lowest satisfaction rating from any of my former athletes were it, there was a direct correlation to how much of a discount they received and how unhappy they were with the service and that is such an important thing to understand that if you don't build up these other incentive structures and these other motivation structures primarily and then use these incentives as one-off like I, I call them like random acts of kindness I'm, I'm so surprised how much people are into a t-shirt mm -hmm. more than a thousand yeah. bucks a year nominal gifts um or you know there's a distinct difference between rewards and recognition so a reward is typically monetary mm -hmm. recognition is usually nominal so when you think of rewards as incentives like there's only so much cash but there's an infinite number of congratulations so i try to think of it in that concept of Cash is always finite. In any organization, in any individual's pocketbook, cash is finite. Um, and so that only gets you so far. But congratulations, a look in the eye and a, hey, Matt, welcome to the gym. Glad you're here today. Or a, hey, good job on that wad, a high five, a, um, a personal text message from someone in the gym once a month asking you, you know, how things are going. Those items of recognition will go far, far um, into the future than a $10 discount or a, you know, one month free kind of thing. Um, and I would caution anyone to use those as a primary motivator, because if you are using incentives only, cash incentives, um, you will cost yourself money, number one, and then you won't be using that same energy to be focusing on developing the personal, social, and then um, positive recognition components of your motivation structure that you really could be. Absolutely. And those of you listening to this will probably recognize this as the bright spot system that we use and, you know, 
the uh you know, the Joy Girl system is also another one that we talk about a lot. Like that monthly point of contact, like, Aaron, good job on this. Like, how are things going? Like, mm-hmm. we value you. Like, those kinds of things are the strong, uh, the really strong motivation. Another thing that you said is this finite, like, incentives being finite. You know, there's so, like, think how many insurance companies right now are failing at corporate wellness. Like, I'll just call every insurance company out right now. Like you guys suck at corporate wellness, like $500 a year. Nobody cares. Everybody's still smoking mm-hmm. our parking lot right here. Everybody drives over from the fed because mm-hmm. they have their, they have, uh, they get penalized. They get a monthly mm-hmm. penalty. They get penalized for, um, self-disclosing as smokers. Mm-hmm. So guess what? Every day, 30, 40 cars drive over from the Fed into our parking lot, smoke a butt three or four Mm -hmm. times a day. And it's like, guys, this is not working. You need to figure out something else to motivate people. So we're failing people with incentives. It sounds like they've used it third and not in moderation. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, if they've only addressed um, a financial penalty for an undesirable behavior, then they haven't addressed the personal you know, why would I want to stop smoking? Um, tapping into that, some sort of moral commitment, some sort of um, personal anchor that is going to matter to that individual will be far more impactful than a $500 discount. Mm. Um, as well as, you know, social impact of peers, mentors, role models, those that they trust, providing that, you know, supportive structure around them will be far more motivating yeah, then a five hundred dollar discount. So if it's just five hundred bucks, and they're like, "Well, yeah, it was- okay, like that stings, but diluted over a twenty six paychecks, I kind of didn't notice. So whatever, I'm gonna drive over there and smoke at exactly. lunch. Exactly. And quitting smoking sucks. Yeah, it's hard. It's super hard to do. It, and okay, so on that note, let's let's think about some other things that really suck to do. Ooh, yeah. Like, eat like. eating eating healthfully Mm -hmm. working out like committing to a schedule like doing Mm -hmm. things that are uncomfortable and hard like everything that we do in here frankly sucks but people love it Mm -hmm. so let's identify like some of the best practices and key things that go on inside of a crossfit affiliate that are pushing people toward that motivation you've identified some already the the mentor and role model of the coach Mm -hmm. Um, gym owners like you need to make this systematic tell your coaches what kind of role models you want them to Mm -hmm. be like don't don't leave it out I mean don't leave Mm -hmm. anything up for question you need to tell them do you want the most like badass athletes as your coaches like to get the top score no matter what or do you want coaches that are mm-hmm. like supportive and nurturing and can relate with your athletes? Yeah. There's no wrong answer to that, you know, to that, but you have to let your coaches know what you expect out of them. Yeah, and I would say um I have to I have to say that these are not my original thoughts. This is something that we've been studying kind of um, several different texts in combination. Um there's a lot of different schools of thought on motivation. Um but the one that I think kind of brings it all together, and I'd recommend that anyone pick up a copy of this book, it's called Influencer, and it's called The Power to Change Anything. And what it does is it lays out a six-box model, which addresses, um, it's got six boxes, so two columns, one column for motivation, one column for ability, and then 
the dimensions of personal, social, and structural. And what I would do if I were to get really practical about this as a gym owner, I would look at personal motivation and I would say, what is it as a gym owner that I'm doing to address personal motivation? And some of the, the tactics in there might be things like um, individuals in the gym share their story during um, boot camp or individuals in the gyms share their story before a wad and that would help connect any new person walking into the gym to why am I here what am I setting out to change about myself and I know that many coaches will share their story during um, you know during the onboarding process in order to help orient people to why did why did this seemingly average Joe walk into this gym and get so connected? And so sharing those stories, I think, is really powerful. And giving members a platform to do that on. I Absolutely. Think, I Whether mean, that's a, a blog, a podcast, a, an a time frame during the WAD, whatever that might be, um, you have opportunity there to really connect to why this thing matters to that person. Because as putting yourself in the shoes of a new athlete – by nature, somebody coming into a new situation is going to have a general inclination towards, um, I'm going to say narcissism, but I don't mean that in a negative context. They're going to walk into a new situation feeling like I'm the only one that's ever been here before. I'm the only one that feels I'm the only one that's ever stepped in here out of shape. They're going to have this perception of like just so closed off and inside themselves mm -hmm. that saying, hey, here, like... Betty lost 100 pounds, but it took her a year and a half, and it was really freaking hard, but she did it. Mm -hmm. And letting those stories be told kind of gets people out of their own sort of narcissistic right. like world. Well, and everyone has a different story, right? So the, some individuals are here to lose weight. Some are here to gain weight. Some are here to gain strength. Some are here to gain mobility or to recover from a surgery. So yes. having so many different stories, I think, you know, the typical one we default to is I'm going to go get in shape and lose weight. Yeah. Um, and if that's not your story, when you walk into a gym, you may think this might not be the place for me because everyone here has a story about how they lost weight. Well, mm -hmm. I don't need that. So um, finding a way to connect with every single member of your gym through a personal story is, is a huge opportunity. And if you don't address that first, like I said, any, any amount of effort that you put into competitions or incentives, discounts, what have you, um, those things will fall short. Mm. And that's, and, you know, all new members of the gym will experience before, before they go through fundamentals or our on-ramp program. Um, we, they're always asked, what are three things that are going well? What are you doing right right now? So we're opening up that story. Like, it's like a path to like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't care what you can't do. I don't care what you, where you want to be. Like, what's going, like, what are you kicking ass at right now? Mm -hmm. And it could be like family or career or any number of things like but we're, we, you have to open up that story to athletes and allow them to begin to develop their own narrative carry over that outside narrative mm -hmm. inside these walls and help them draw a line between yeah, that's the two. fantastic so personal allowing people to share their stories and then you yeah. discuss and then I would stay, um, you know, if you're drawing that six box grid, I would hop over to personal ability 
and that's really the lessons you're going to get in the class. And so that's kind of locked in. CrossFit does that really well. That's the bread and butter of our um, business here, right? Is we're going to instruct you, train you, um, give you a deliberate time frame to practice these skills and break these skills down. And so I think that's pretty locked in with how CrossFit approaches. So I think yep. that's kind of handled. You could just say <laughs> if you're if you're doing CrossFit and you've got your certifications, then you're doing this, yes. this component. So you could probably just go ahead and move on down to what else could I do in that social layer? Um, CrossFit naturally has within the wads, you know, kind of an expectation of we all cheer for each other at the end. Um, that's fantastic. Role modeling. This is all about the peer pressure and the support and help you get from others. And so really kind of tapping into all sorts of tactics in this space, whether that be um, coaches having kind of a guiding principle in their mind of I'm going to address each person during this workout in some way, whether saying their name and cheering for them, or I am going to go over and correct their form, or I am going to ask them how their day was after class. Um, find some way to connect with them so that socially they feel like someone saw me when I was there today and it, I mattered to that person. Um, encouraging people to shake hands or say their name prior to class. I think those are components that I've seen at CrossFit tactics that have really worked um, in a positive way to build community, holding competitions, forming teams, um, doing partner wads, all of those things, fostering the community and really kind of building that group of individuals who are not just interacting socially and creating motivation, but are coaching one another and correcting each other. And you've got, you know, in bench press, for example, you've got somebody spotting you. And so, each of those instances is is a micro opportunity to engage in an intentional tactic to grow the community. And I think that's the, the important part is the intention behind it. Um, and it's not just all willy nilly. And I think that a lot of owners uh, make the mistake of thinking I've opened this box and the community will form like it's by nature a tribe has people that are inside of it and outside of it and you need to clearly define what you are all about mm -hmm. and there are plenty of systems that you can put in place to define what you are all about and really there's so many people like what i say to gym owners all the time is like there are so many people in this world that are not working out you can define your tribe about however you want to. I mean, you can be mm -hmm. like the competitor's gym. You can be a women's only gym. Like you could be a grandma's only. Like there are plenty of people to fill four walls with, but being intentional about it, don't let it happen by accident or things. I mean, a lot of, as a cautionary tale, like I think a lot of people have, can echo that sentiment of when I tried to let my community happen by accident, it fell apart. Mm -hmm. And that's... Well, and I think a really good example, I've seen good ones, I've seen bad ones, I've done CrossFit all over the world, um, and the most effective gyms that I've seen are are clearly very intentional in their approach in um, ensuring that each individual gets a consistent experience when they walk into that gym, and that it is positive, and it is um, it feels personal, even though it's programmatically defined to um, to encourage the coaches to go out and be personal with each person. Um, when I've seen gyms not do this so well, I have been overdoing a deadlift and my coaches eating a salad at the desk or um, checking their iPhone or walked outside to talk to somebody. Um, 
those feel like missed opportunities to me. So I didn't leave the CrossFit community because I knew that there were other places that were doing it well. And then I sought those out. And so um, experiencing those less than optimal optimal conditions, um, just it made me feel disappointed, number one, but also like, wow, they're just missing it. And it seems so unfortunate, both for them um, as owners, because of the success that they could see if they were intentional about it, but also for the individuals in the community who were just kind of just there working out and, um, you know, people would leave the gym immediately after the workout was over rather than wait till the end of class when everyone was finished. And I think you shed so a great really light. Disappointing. On, yeah. I, like, I think you shed great light on what the athlete's perception. I mean, like the things that you identified as like, you know, acknowledge my name, make eye contact, come watch me deadlift, ask me how I'm doing. Like, mm-hmm. We're not asking for like these amazing cues oh, no. or the one mobility that gets you a two minute faster frame time. Like, like we're just talking like very simple, like social acceptance, like Absolutely. making that the very integrated part of the athlete experience. Absolutely. The more um, we've studied this and learned, you know, no matter your age, no matter your experience level, um, everyone wants to be led. Everyone wants to be acknowledged. Um and everyone wants to be accepted. And so if we can give that to people with a simple hello and you've remembered my name, like what an easy way to not only grow your business, but more importantly, grow your community and to make a difference in somebody's life. And so um, I think some some of the mistakes that we've made in our profession is assuming that that person doesn't want our leadership or doesn't want to be bothered or doesn't want um, us to talk to them. They just want to get in and get their work done and get out. Um, And I think we've made that mistake a lot. And I think that's really a missed opportunity for us to really connect with someone who, you know, they're in a foreign space. They haven't done this before. Uh, We owe them our expertise, no matter our age, our experience level. We are the experts on this thing and we're here to help you. And just wanted to say my name and uh, say hi and, let you know I'm here to help if you need me. So so wrapping up, we've got about a minute left. I think that it would behoove a lot of – there's this idea that uh, – I can't. I think they call it club blindness, and it, and it's this idea that if you spend all day in a gym or all day in in any kind of facility, that you become blind to like a, a dirty stack of laundry, or mm-hmm. you become blind to the customer experience, and you know what I mean. It just becomes such a part of your everyday that you never take pause and look at the customer experience from a motivational standpoint. I think this could also be important if you were to talk with some gym owners or coaches out there. What are just some quick little audits that they can do and maybe just step back and give a quick audit of that experience to ensure that they are, in fact, motivating that Mm -hmm. athlete toward like 10 years of success? Great question. I think I would take those kind of that six box model and I would turn those into I statements. So um, from an athlete's perspective, I know my story, I can articulate my story, and I can articulate um, at least one other person in the gym, their story. I know that if I have a question about a skill, I can ask Matt. Um, I know how to ask that question. So that might be a great gauge of do um, do your athletes know how to ask, is my deadlift correct? Like, 
is my form doing what it needs to be doing? Do they even know how to ask that question? Um, I would ask, I, as an athlete, have a social connection with at least one coach and one um, of my peers in the, in the class. I know that there's a competition coming up soon. I can tell you what the, uh, the gym offers in terms of nutrition and whatever. Um, in terms of the structural layer of incentives and the environment, I would say I know what um, rewards and recognition systems exist. I know that if I um, get a PR, I can put it on the PR board. That's an absolute form of recognition. I know that um, in Wattify, I get the little gold star, right? Um, I know that structurally, I feel like this is a facility that is clean it is well cared for I know I feel like the equipment is um, keeping me safe and is well maintained so if if I were a gym owner I would look at that through the athletes eyes and make some eye statements of if I were walking to, into a gym these are things I would expect and then um, perform that audit whether that be through a survey or ask ask your athletes you know what do you see I feel this I feel that Aaron, I think that that is a very, I think that that exercise will be very eye-opening for a lot of people, both, I mean, because we're probably going to have athletes listening to this and gym owners listening to this as well, and I think that that experience will help, um, you know, from the gym owner's perspective, am I providing answers to these questions? From the athlete's perspective, am I asking these questions? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, sometimes the system is in place, the athlete just needs to say, hey, mm -hmm. coach, and where is that breakdown? Yep. Aaron, I can, this was awesome. Like, I, I went into this expecting nothing, and I came out of it, like, so thrilled. Thank you so much. Like, You're this welcome. Is incredible. Um, Aaron Madiak, thanks so much for being on the shows. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Sport of Business podcast. If you found this valuable, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher and leave us a review. For more information, head over to 321goproject.com.